Hello, welcome to the pre-snap motion podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Rich Rebar. Rich, how are you doing today? Dan, what is happening? Here we are in the, the last week of June, and you know, around here, like all of like the fireworks and stuff were canceled. I don't know if in your area they are, like the live fireworks. So apparently just everyone in my neighborhood just decided to spend all their stimulus check on fireworks, and just fireworks have been going off for like a week straight here every night. Yeah, it's amazing. So I'm right next to New York and Macy's announced that instead of having one big thing, they were just going to randomly put out fireworks for like five to 10 minutes a day. Um, so that's going to be super fun to hear just out of nowhere. Um, so I, yeah, I have no idea what's going on. For some reason, they thought that was a good idea. So just random fireworks will be going off and like real, real big ones. These are the Macy's ones. So I have just completely getting ready for just fireworks out of nowhere. Um, so today, before we get started, we would just like to uh, talk about some things that uh, we've been working on. Uh, of course, we work for Sharp Football Analysis. Every year, Warren Sharp comes out with his big uh, preview book uh, for the year. He's going to do that again. That is available for pre-order. Rich has been doing a whole bunch of fantasy stuff uh, for that book. There's going to be way more fantasy than there was uh, in past years. There's some uh, defensive looks and outlooks that are going to be in there way more than they have been uh, in past years. That is available for pre-order now. There's a whole bunch more uh, graphics and um, and all the stuff that you've liked. It's all put up to, turned up to 11 for, for this year's book. And you can now uh, pre-order that on the site. There's also a free chapter on the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, that is available. You can download, get a look at what the chapters are going to look like this year uh, before you purchase. And all of that is going to be um, is going to be coming out uh, in the beginning of July. So uh, keep an eye out for that. I know, uh, Rich, you've been doing a ton of work uh, going in for that book. Yeah, it's been really cool to be a part of this. You know, obviously I've gotten the book in years past, but to, you know, last year I, I, I came on and partnered up with Warren at the very tail end of things and only like threw like a little like short like couple pages in at the tail end but to be part of it from the day one process and get to contribute into every single team chapter and add a little bit uh and see the work that Warren puts into this is is tremendous and you know like you said that Pittsburgh chapter is free on the site last year's free chapter was the 49ers and Warren was really high on them and they were part of like our early betting package and look at what happened to them so I mean maybe it's a good sign that the Steelers are the are the free chapter this year maybe that's going to be like a common thread that whoever we drop early is going to be promised to have an upcoming good season yeah we'll see we've we've talked about them on the podcast with with ben coming back we've talked about i think all of their pass catchers uh, i think we've talked about uh, all 19 of their running backs also uh, whether any of them are any good or not we have talked about them um so there's a lot of good information there uh, so you can find that at sharp football analysis right now and we'll uh, continue to talk about that um uh, while it comes out and we'll be talking about it afterward there's, there's so much good information there no matter what you're looking for for uh your your football needs going into this season whether it's real football whether it's fantasy football it, it's all going to be there but for us, we are going to transition to fantasy football. This is a fantasy football podcast. We had some big news uh, over the weekend, a surprising Sunday night news dump. Uh, Cam Newton is finally a quarterback for an NFL team, uh, and it is the New England Patriots, uh, kind of really the only place where he could have been a starter. Uh, just kind of makes sense that the Patriots were not going to go in with Jared Stidham as their quarterback. Uh, it's an uh, incentive-laden deal, one year 
only up to seven and a half million dollars. Um, so Rich, you did a big uh, fantasy football fallout piece on the site for Cam Newton. So what can you tell us about what we can expect from Cam Newton to the Patriots from the fantasy aspect? I'm assuming you're on the same page as me. Is it? Are we right now just assuming that Cam Newton is going to be the starter? Correct. Are you with me on that? Like, yeah, I think of Roger Sherman of the Ringer. I think did uh, put this out very eloquently. He said, "Ask an Auburn fan who the better quarterback is between Cam Newton <laughs> and Jared Stidham, and and see what they say." So yeah, I think we can all safely assume Cam Newton is going to be the starter. Yeah, I know that they've been floating, you know, some, some competition talk around, you know, they're saying the positive things, but I just feel like if they, this, this is a team with a really good defense and their championship window is still open and obviously they, they can ask, acquiesce their offense and, and use, you know, Cam Newton effectively as opposed to just playing an unknown and not having an unknown floor with Jarrett Stidham who threw all four passes his rookie season. One was a pick six that got him yanked in garbage time. So, I mean, I, I'm in the camp that I, I, I'm assuming right now that if Newton is healthy and ready to go, he's going to be the starter in week one now he's you know 31 years old he's coming off that Liz Frank surgery that probably is as much concern as the multiple soldiers shoulder surgeries he's had you know the over the you know the 12 months prior to that Liz Frank injury but you know we haven't really seen you know Cam fully play you know now in all you know a year and a half you know that's that 2018 season but the last time we did see him play you know, he had a really positive season before that injury. I know a lot of people are going to bring up, oh, well, Carolina's 0-8, the last eight starts Cam has played, and he hasn't played well in those games. Listen, the last four times we've seen Cam Newton even on the football field, he hasn't even thrown a touchdown pass. Uh, you know, and the, and the rushing been, has been gone. But in the front of the half of that 2018 season, before he got hurt in that Pittsburgh game, I mean, he was easily having one of the better passing seasons of his career. Uh, he by far had the highest completion rate of his career, just under 68%. Uh, he had his highest yards for pass attempts since his MVP season in 2015 and they're using him real effectively and getting the ball out of his hands fast you know to guys that can make plays I think there's some questions on do the Patriots have some of those guys we know that Edelman is a guy that works at the intermediate level Sanu that's really all he's ever done and they've got James White um, but you know they're gonna be able to generate you know plays downfield that's kind of where we are with Cam one is his health you know the surrounding talent and then the culture shift that he's going to bring to what we've seen from New England uh, you know you know over his fast his first seven years in the league but you know take this taken away last year because it was only two games I mean Carolina teams averaged just 64 offensive plays per game they had a passing rate of just 54 percent and they averaged just 556 passing plays per season over that same span you know the Patriots have averaged 68.2 offensive plays 58.2 percent passing rate they've averaged 636 passing plays per season they've played with a lot of tempo uh you know having a guy like cam is going to change your offense from tom brady it just is they're different styles of player uh now cam can still be effective though, like i said in that short passing game we've seen him kind of transition that with you know under the turner's offense uh in 2018 but whatever we get passing is always a bonus with cam i mean he's finished higher than qb19 in passing points per game just once in his career uh, that was the MVP season, but he's still been the QB 13 or higher in fantasy points per game in every year, but one, and he's been the QB eight or higher in all those years. So, I mean, he's still a guy that provides, you know, a lot of fantasy production because of his legs. And even though that rushing does dip for quarterbacks when they hit in their thirties and it has dipped for Newton even prior to this injury. Uh, and you can just throw away, like I said, if he had a foot injury in the preseason last year on Liz Frank, like he didn't run at all those first two games. But even when we saw him in just 14 games in 2018, he was still second in the NFL in 
rushing attempts for quarterbacks. So, I mean, he's still going to use his legs if he's, if he's, you know, a healthy Cam Newton and a healthy Cam Newton and a running Cam Newton is still a fantasy asset. Now there are QB points everywhere. So you're not always going to dive in and take that risk reward on quarterback. It's going to be kind of if the price point hits in your drafts. Um, But also the devil's advocate there is kind of like, because there are QB points readily available and because you always have the fallback to stream quarterbacks, you can take a swing on, you know, Cam Newton ceiling. And if he doesn't work out, and doesn't, you know, he's not running and he's not as healthy and all that stuff's compromised, you can then stream after the fact, you know, if you get him at the price you want. So, I mean, there's a lot of dynamics to Cam Newton. Uh, I think he's a, it's a really the only fit where he was going to start. And I think he's with an intelligent, you know, offensive play caller and a team that's going to utilize him correctly. And he's with a really good defense to generate positive game script. So I think there's a lot of upside still in Cam Newton from a fantasy stance. Yeah, it's one thing I I did a little uh, write up of him also just kind of from a from an actual football perspective and uh, just kind of in our big free agent um, rundown that uh, I was doing for for most of the off season. Um, and one of the things I was surprised is the 2018 season was a little better than I was expecting. I know the first half was really good, but even when you bring in the second half after he really had that shoulder injury that really hampered him, uh, he, he still had some good stats, especially in that short to intermediate range, which I think is going to be a lot of what the Patriots do with him. Uh, when you look at the um, the completion percentage by by depth, and we have those charts over at uh, Sharp Football Analysis, I put up a chart that shows a Cam was way better than average um, in that short to intermediate range. His, his graph is way above the, the average line, and then it just kind of tanks once it gets to 15 yards. Um, and anything he did uh, beyond that, uh, just he had no idea where it was going. You could just tell he was laboring. Um, and a lot of that was when he was trying to put touch on passes and, and trying to get some of those, some of those deep balls that he was trying to like lead receivers, but there were still a couple throws later in the season. I, I tweeted out, um, a, a play from week 14, which is the second to last game he played, uh, before he was put on IR. Um, and it was a 25 yard dart, uh, to Curtis Samuel, where he evaded some pressure, stepped up in the pocket, was able to put a 25 yard pass just uh, completely on the line. It was accurate. So if he can just get a little bit of that deep touch back, he doesn't even have to get all of it back uh, from where he was in his prime. I think he's still going to be really good. And then I took that graph, laid it over Tom Brady's chart from 2019. And I think we know Brady was not very good, especially in that short to intermediate area. And that's where these Patriots receivers are probably going to be at their best. We don't know if they have a deep threat. Um, so that's going to be part of the issue. But I think when we look at that, and I think James White's going to be a huge here. When I was looking at some of what Christian McCaffrey did for Cam Newton in that 2018 season, I think if they use James White in that place I think Cam's going to have a a very good outlet there that he's going to use very often but I am super big on on this fit I think that's going to work really well for both real football and and it definitely brings the upside for fantasy yeah, I, I think when you look at the receivers, um, you know, it didn't really move when I ran projections switching to Cam. It, 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 it helped them get a better quarterback, but also, like, you know, the passing volume dropped so significantly to where I had them with Jarrett Stidham that it didn't really give those guys a huge boost overall. I mean, we know what we're getting out of, you know, White and Edelman from a fantasy. Those guys are safe floor fantasy options. Um, 
And, you know, the targets are going to be there for both those two players. We know how the Patriots are going to utilize those guys. Nikhil Harry is still kind of a wild card, you know, in the second season. I mean, this he basically had a throwaway rookie season, too. You know, didn't, you know, take the field until, you know, after he came off of IR. Really didn't do a lot afterwards. They didn't really use him in any creative ways, either, like the way he was, he was used in college. Um, he's a guy that can win some of those clashing 50-50 balls that we know Cam will throw. Um, you know, he doesn't get a lot of separation. But, you know, Cam's played with a whole bunch of guys that haven't gotten separation <laughs> over the course course of his career uh so I mean I don't think that that's too big of a concern it just turns those guys I think the keel Harry it turns him still he still stays in like a dark though range and Edelman White are more still of like those safe floor guys that aren't really sexy fantasy picks um but it can be glue roster guys uh for your roster yeah absolutely I don't think there's one guy you're going to want to dive into and think that cam makes him better but i think overall i think that offense has a lot more upside now with cam than it would have with jared sinem and it might even be an improvement on tom brady which uh, is going to be fun to watch i am very excited to see what a cam newton led new england patriots team is going to look like um so with that out of the way our our main topic today is going to be kind of like we did last week with running backs where there's guys in you know the the running back one, a range that that either bottom tier of running back one could be running back two. We're going to do that with uh, wide receivers now. Some of these guys Rich has talked about uh, on uh, on the site uh, with the dynasty buy, sell, or hold. And we're just going to look into these guys, kind of see oh, where we feel uh, their, where, um, their, their value is and where they're going. So uh, let's start with one guy who started as a rookie last year, had a great rookie season, but such low volume, super high efficiency. Uh, and that was Nicole Hardman. Um, how, how do we feel about where Hardman fits into the Kansas City offense? Is the upside worth buying into, or is there just not going to be enough targets there uh, for him to really be a consistent uh, fantasy asset? Splash plays, baby. I mean, if you like splash plays, I mean, McCall Harbin was that guy last year. And, you know, remember when they traded up in the draft to get him, that was when the all the off-field stuff with Tyree Kill was going on. So it looked like he was going to be a direct replacement for Tyree Kill. And then Tyree Kill got injured that very first week of the season. And we saw, you know, McCall Harbin get some playing time. Uh, I mean, he was first in the NFL in yards per reception at 20.7 yards. He was first in the NFL in yards per target. He was second in the NFL in rate of 20 yards uh, catches per target. Uh, Jared Cook was actually number one. You know, if that's a nice little trivia question you could throw out there for people. Uh, and he was fourth in TD rate. So, I mean, splash plays. This guy was generating them as a rookie. I mean, he can fly. I mean, we all saw that play against Tennessee, you know, where the jump pass from Mahomes and, you know, McCall had another gear afterwards and pulled away. It looked like he was just running a, a, on another planet. Uh, but when Tyree Kill and Sammy Watkins both played, I mean, in, in the 13 games that they both were even active, uh, Hardman just had 18 total targets in those 13 games. He caught 12 passes in those uh, games, just 248 yards. He still had a couple splash plays, but I mean, the 18 targets is really hard to latch onto. And that includes weeks one and week 11 when Tyree Kill only played 12 and seven total snaps. So, I mean, there's not a lot of volume when you look at the Chiefs are rolling back their entire roster, wide receiver roster. Every wide receiver that took a snap for them outside of DeAnthony Thomas, who played just 20 snaps before his release in the season, is back on this roster. Now, I believe McCole Hardman has, you know, probably leapfrogged uh, you know Demarcus Robinson probably in the pecking order and we've already seen some rumors that they kind of want to 
bring in a different return man to get him more involved in the offense. But I don't believe he outright still jumps Sammy Watkins, and you know he's not going to out jump Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey in the pecking order either. Uh, so I mean that kind of leaves him in like a really gray area of just how many targets are left over. I mean we're, get, we're sure we've got that attachment to Patrick Mahomes and that upside on a weekly basis is always going to be there. But um, I think when you're looking from a redraft stance, I mean the worry is it becomes like a roster paperweight. You'll never know when you want to start him, and he'll be the type of guy that you can never release either. So he's just kind of like a, a roster clogger until either a Chiefs player gets hurt or like he completely just outperforms, uh, you know, a, one of those players that we talked about. Obviously, a lot of people would just initially point to Watkins. Uh, but, you know, listen, that that organization does have something for Sammy Watkins. And Sammy Watkins has come through for them in both of the past two postseasons and played some of his best football, uh, you know, even though he kind of went dormant in the middle of last season. I mean, that's a, they, they, they restructure his contract. They clearly want Sammy Watkins there. Um, so I think he's a little bit tricky. I don't really have pushback to where he goes in drafts I think he goes in a fair area where a lot of players have downside um, but my my problem is from a redraft stance is that worry that he's going to be one of those guys that is kind of a roster clogger in the season uh, kind of like a running back handcuff and I like to have full roster fluidity and flexibility at all times um, with my roster and I want guys to have standalone value on their own and I think that he falls into a little bit of gray area even though he's a tremendously exciting player and I have to have a lot of thoughts beyond the season that are very strongly for him. But in the 2020 stance, I do worry that the, the ultimate th- amount of targets just aren't there for him. Yeah, and like you said, the splash plays, that's pretty much all there was. Uh, so last year, uh, targets 20 or more yards down the field. Uh, McCall Hardman was eighth in EPA. Um, that's great, but that came off nine deep targets. Only nine, but he was eighth in EPS. So, so, so many of those targets uh, were working out quite well. Um, but the guys in front of him had 26, 22, 24, 20, 37, 24, and 25 targets. Uh, McCall Hardman was only uh, 75th um, in targets, uh, 20 or more yards down the field. Those, they, they're just not coming. So he is going to be that guy that is going to have those splash waves, those big plays, those 70 yard plays that, you know, could be weak winners. Um, you just have, like you said, Rich, you just have no idea when those are going to happen. Um, you're going to have times where you're starting him and they're not going to happen. You're going to have times when he's on your bench, uh, and, uh, those plays are going to happen. I think he's going to be an incredibly frustrating, uh, fantasy asset, uh, someone who's going to be very fun to watch, but you just, you just don't know uh, when those are going to happen. Um, let's, and now let's go to another uh, frustrating fantasy asset, and that was especially the case last year. And that was Odell Beckham. Uh, disappointment on the Browns, even though, again, put up a 1,000 yards. We've kind of talked about this. Uh, only Odell Beckham could really put up uh, his 2019 numbers and everyone be like, nah, that wasn't really good. Um, so – uh, what, what do you think oh, you're expecting now? Uh, it's a new coaching staff, um, maybe a, a little more settled down Baker Mayfield. Uh, we have Kevin Stefanski. Uh, we have maybe a little more 12 personnel where he's going to be able to work on the outside more. Uh, where, where do you see Odell Beckham now for 2020? Odell is a very interesting guy because we know where the ceiling lies and where he goes in drafts. He started to slip just a little bit further and further, further, you know, into the fourth round. When you see the name Odell Beckham in that price point, 
it's very hard not to get excited, you know, with some of the names he's going around. You want to click that button, you know, when you see Odell Beckham because you know this guy can absolutely just be the highest scoring wide receiver. He's that talented. We've seen it happen. Um, but, you know, he hasn't really given us a, you know, a fully healthy season, you know, in three years. I know he did play all 16 games, but, I mean, you just look at the plethora of injuries he played through that was documented, and that went, also went into some of his performance. You know, everything that could go wrong did go wrong for Odell Beckham. He played through those injuries. He didn't really play well. You know, he had his career high in drops. Uh, he had subpar quarterback play uh, with Baker Mayfield. He took a step back in year two. The chemistry of, of changing teams paired with uh, Baker Mayfield's, you know, kind of reversion. Uh, only 62.3% of Beckham's targets in 2019 were deemed catchable per pro football focus. That was 76 out of 86 qualifying wide receivers. Um, and, you know, he, then the volume also kind of wasn't there. You know, he had career lows in targets per game at 8.3, you know, yards per target. Uh, and, oh, and also the Browns played the hardest passing schedule in the NFL last year from a quarterback and wide receiver standpoint. So basically every domino that wanted to fall against, you know, Odell Beckham did. And, you know, he's been, he's in year two now of changing teams. It hasn't always been like a bounce back spot for guys. Uh, like I had in the article, uh, receivers don't typically just immediately say, well, well, he was in the system the year two. That's the thing, you know, that's a common narrative anyways, you know, year two in a system. Uh, but you know, that hasn't been really being kind to these guys either. And he's also now inheriting a, you know, system that, you know, Kevin Spansky is a very limited resume as a play caller. And you and I have kind of think harped a couple of times, like just don't overly one for one blueprint what the 2019 Vikings did. It's what the 2020 Browns are going to do. But we do know from a personnel stance, like what he wants to do. We know they're going to play a fullback. We know they're probably going to play two tight ends uh, higher than, you know, the league base rate. Uh, but, you know, we can't always count on just what kind of game script the Browns are going to have compared to that Vikings team. And if you look at what Kevin Stansky did, I mean, he took a versatile player on Stephon Diggs and used him in a very, you know, creative fashion that Stephon Diggs was not used in and up until that point in his career. And Stephon Diggs was arguably the best lid popper in the NFL last year. I mean, he set career highs all across the board, you know, in yards per catch, yards per target. Uh, he was second in the NFL just behind Michael Thomas in yards per team target. But of course, you know, the volume was still there. He was under 100 targets. So, I mean, there's probably, uh, you know, some allure and say, hey, if Stephon Diggs can do that, I mean, Beckham is a definitely talented player to be using that capacity. Baker Mayfield where the one area where he was good a year ago was in the play action pass and you know taking some shots he wasn't good in taking those shots to Odell Beckham but he was good in taking those shots in totality and you know maybe get some rollover but Beckham's probably not a guy like his days of being 150 probably 160 target guy like he was those early days in New York um, are probably gone I mean we're probably not going to see that he's still a really strong bet to be in that 120 target range even in this offense um, but the reason you see a dip is because you know you're not going to get those sunk in bought in targets in the 150 target range like you are going to get with a Devontae Adams you know or a Michael Thomas some of those guys in that apex wide receiver one grouping and that's why we've seen the fall a little bit but uh, still we know where the ceiling lies he's really cheap even though with the system and some of the downside I mean I, it's really hard for me still not to nibble nibble with the cookie of Odell Beckham man when he's in that fourth round and I get him as like my wide receiver wide receiver two uh when I get start with running back heavy I mean he's it's still just an alluring name he's still still young enough still in the age apex um I know he's still good yeah that's the thing I think he is so good I, I mean I might be a little biased from from the years where I'd still like 
actually cared about the Giants and watching them, and he was the only good thing about that offense. But man, the, you can just see the talent is, is there. I think there were there were a lot of places last year where where it was there, it just wasn't a clicking at, at the same time. Uh, you kind of talk about some of the the catchable uh, passes. Or we've kind of talked about this with uh, DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. I brought up the the catchable passes, twenty or more yards down the field. Uh, they had the uh, lowest and second lowest. Odell Beckham had the fourth lowest. Uh, only Marquez Valdez Scantling uh, was in between, and Beckham had 28 of those targets. Only 39 of them were catchable, and those were those downfield targets where uh, Beckham could get open, uh, and they just weren't connecting. We talk about um, uh, Kevin Stefanski, Stefan Diggs of the 28 receivers with 20 or more. Uh, targets 20 or more down yards down the field um was first in catchable percentage so um i think a lot of that was uh, digs able to get open a lot of that was stefanski uh, working ways to get those guys open a lot of that were were play action bootlegs uh, with a deep over uh and it kind of just opened up a side of the field for stefan Diggs, and that was a way the vikings were, were able to go and when you look at the beckham th- there were still some places where where odell beckham was odell beckham and and one of those was um on slants uh, he was still sixth in uh targets on slant routes he was fourth in receptions or fourth in yards uh, he was sixth in air yards, fourth in yards after the catch, and fourth in or fifth in yards after the catch percentage. So still that Odell Beckham place where Odell Beckham is Odell Beckham. He he was still that. So I think if you get a little more of that timing right, I I think of that that Bills game. Uh, I think that was in week 10. Uh, he had 12 targets, only five catches, 59 yards. A lot of that was against Tredavious White. But there were a bunch of plays where Beckham was getting open uh, and either his timing was off a little bit or Baker's timing was off a little bit and those those catches just weren't happening. Um, but there was opportunity there. Beckham was getting open against someone like Tredavious White. So I think there's, there's potential there. Um, uh, I'm going to be talking myself into a, a lot of Odell Beckham uh, this year. And, and I think that's okay. That, that is a place where I am okay getting burned um, if it doesn't work out. Because I think there's, there's a lot of process that worked uh, very well last year and that I think can continue and go into 2020. Um, now, another process that we, we're not totally sure uh, what's going to work is, is with the Rams. Uh, for so long, under Sean McVay, 11-personnel team are going to be three wide receivers uh, all the time. Uh, but they switched to a two-tight end set, a lot of 12 personnel to end the season. So uh, this is kind of a double whammy. What does this shift to 12 personnel uh, do for someone like Cooper Cup and also Tyler Higby, who might be on the field a little more often? Yeah, the Rams are an interesting team because, you know, they adjusted midseason like you kind of alluded to. I mean, you know, but by playing, you know, more 12 personnel, you know, over that, you know, final, you know, eight weeks of the season, seven weeks of the season, we've seen it, it really kind of elevate Higby and then kind of damage Cooper Cup. I mean, over the opening eight games, Cooper Cup had 28% of the Rams targets. He had 17 more targets than the next highest player on the team, which was Robert Woods. Uh, and then over the final, you know, eight weeks of the season, he had just 15.7% of the team targets. Um, and he was third on the team by a significant amount. He had 47 targets. Woods had 79 and Higby had 66. So he was a distant third um, in, the, in the pecking order, you know, and as a byproduct of playing more 12, you know, Cup had to, you know, win, win a little more outside. And, you know, that kind of limited his opportunities, you know, playing in outside a little bit uh, in, in those two wide receiver sets as being a slot centric player. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of hurt him. Uh, you know, if you look at his target rates for career and yards per out run, um, he's at 2.4 yards per out run on the slot for his career, just 1.8 on the outside. He has been a touchdown scorer on the outside, which has helped him 
kind of a, and that's what kind of saved him at the end of the season. He had five touchdowns over the final eight weeks. So the floor didn't completely bottom out like it did for like Adam Thielen a year prior when he had those like that crazy, you know, opening eight games and then the, the crazy back half eight games. But I mean, I don't also want to discount Cooper Cup season in bulk because of what happened at the end of the season. Cause Cooper Cup was a guy that came off of a, a week 10 ACL injury the year before. And for him to come back and set career highs across the board and targets, receiving yards, touchdowns, receptions, even with a tail of two halves um, is something that was significant because typically players coming off of ACL injuries, do you have a year one decline and, and he had a late season you know, ACL injury for him to one, be starting week one and have that torrid first half of the season was just shows you like the kind of talent level that he has and the kind of ceiling he has when this offense is, you know, working through him. Uh, but, you know, when he kind of stepped back, Higby just went bananas, you know, weeks 13 to 16, 17, Higby had 43 catches, 522 yards, two touchdowns. He had a four game stretch, became the first tight end in NFL history to have at least seven catches for hundred yards and four consecutive games played uh, first time that ever happened. Uh, he was the number one tight end, in fantasy by far. He had 23 more PPR points than Travis Kelsey. He did also play the Cardinals twice over that span, uh, but he did roast the 49ers too in one of those games who were legit good against uh, the 49ers as well. So, I mean, the catch here with the Rams is how much 12 personnel do we really anticipate them moving forward into the 2020 season? General manager Les Seed has come out and said that they definitely want to have more offensive diversity instead of being that strict 11 personnel team that they were for, you know, two and a half years under Sean McVay. Uh, and if you look at all the moves that they made, you know, they released Todd Gurley they trade Brandon Cooks you know they draft you know Bryson Hopkins they draft a running back it seems to signal that they're going to they, they want to play a, a little bit more of like they did in the second half but the problem is when you look at over the second half when they weren't winning in those games uh, they went right back and reverted right back to primary 11 personnel team so if they can't control game script uh, like they did to close the season I mean we're going to see a lot less that 12 personnel than we're kind of everyone's projecting right now and if you look at our site at sharp football stats right now the forecasted Rams total win totals eight and a half wins seven of their opening 11 games are facing teams with higher win uh, forecasted win totals than them and they're so like if game script doesn't flow there like we're going to be completely wrong and misread this situation entirely so I mean cups could still be a good bet I think Woods is still the safest bet because it doesn't really matter what personnel set they play uh you know Woods is still getting his targets uh and then you know Higby is getting priced in because he had such a short span of run he's still priced outside of the top six tight end so there's still some squeeze if that ceiling still hits and, and some of the, the discount is still priced in if it's not really real like if you miss at a tight end out of the top six that's not really like that huge of a deal either uh because that means you're just streaming the position like every uh, the other teams that missed out <laughs> on the top uh and then the last guy that that might we might just be completely overlooking here is josh reynolds uh, if that does happen and they're not able to play as much 12 as they want to, because they said they, the games they're losing, they completely reverted right back to 11 personnel. And Van Jefferson's a guy that plays Cooper Cup's position. Uh, he's probably a year out. He had Jones fracture surgery as well this off season. So, I mean, Josh Reynolds in a contract year, like he's, he's going in the, like in the wide receiver 70 wide receiver 80 range. And if we're wrong on this read of the Rams or they're just not getting the script that we that they want to have. I mean, Reynolds is going to get a lot more snaps. So, I mean, uh, it's, it's a really interesting dynamic uh, with the Rams as, as well, because I mean, we're a lot of analysis is pitching hold them into being a 12 personnel team more this season. Uh, but I think that there's still a lot of fragility in that assessment. Yeah, there absolutely is. We, we don't know. And this defense is probably going to be 
worse. I, I don't think that's a stretch. I mean, they, they've added some high upside talent. You know, Jalen Ramsey is still there. Aaron Donald's still there. Uh, they lost their entire uh, linebacking core. Corey Littleton's not there anymore. Um, I, I think this is a defense, and Wade Phillips isn't there. That's, that's uh, probably the biggest loss on that team. Uh, they decided to not bring Wade Phillips back. Um, who really brought that team to being like a, a top five defense um, over the past couple of years. Um, so I would expect them to give up some more points than they have, which also, uh, depending on the offense, is also going to make it harder for them to be in a preferable game script uh, for them to really control the ball with that 12 personnel and, and the run-heavy offense that some of them want to do. Um, I think what's really interesting with Cooper Cup is even as they sh- kind of shifted to 12 personnel, Cooper Cup was still kind of a go-to uh, in the red zone. Um, when you look at... Um, when they started in like a uh, week 12, uh, Cooper Cup still had a, a target and a touchdown uh, inside the 10. Uh, week 13, he had two targets, uh, two receptions, and a touchdown inside the 10. Uh, week 14, he had a target and a touchdown inside the 10. Week 16, he had two targets, a reception, and a touchdown inside the 10. So even though they were shifting to this heavier offense, that was kind of the, the place where Cooper Cup was, was still working that slot area uh, and getting to uh, the end zone and, and getting those uh, high leverage targets um so i think that's something i don't know if that's something you want to gamble on uh and thinking that he's still going to be able to have uh, that touchdown a uh, rate inside the 10 uh, but that's where the rams were going uh, with a lot of those plays so i think that's that's part of the high upside with cooper cup and we know the rams love cooper cup they've, they've been getting him as some of these touches um you know, all, all over the place and, and he was much better uh in like say epa than he was uh, in targets and i think robert woods was kind of uh, the other way he was high in targets uh, lower than cooper cup in epa for most of the season so I, I think we'll see that and when you're in these two receiver sets it's still going to be cooper cup so i think there's still going to be a, a lot of, of targets for him uh, on the field so uh, I, it's, but it's, it's really interesting to see. We just, we don't, for so long, we thought we knew exactly what the Rams were going to look like because it looked like the same thing uh, for the past, you know, two and a half years. And now we just, we, for some reason, we're, we're going into this season having no idea what the Rams are going to look like. And it, it's really weird. I mean, the, the, Ram, the Rams are going to be one of those teams, and you, you kind of hit on the defense, too. And, yeah, you, you lose, you know, Eric Weddle, you know, Nickel Roby Coleman's gone. I mean, they lost yeah. a lot of significant pieces. And we know that the you know, team like the Arizona Cardinals is going to take a step forward. Uh, we're expecting them to take a step forward. And we know Seattle's going to do what Seattle does. Uh, <laughs> and then the 49ers are a team that took a step forward. So, I mean, they're all the, the Rams easily went from, like, a, a locked-in favorite at this time to win their division last year uh, to, to arguably, you know, being probably the one of the favorite the favorites to be third or fourth you know in that division you know coming into the season yeah especially with we don't know what that offensive line is going to look like that was a line that did not gel well together uh we don't really know what they're going to do at running back um there's a the whole mix of running backs without Todd Gurley um and we have no idea what Jared Goff is right now. Uh, is he going to be a better off play action uh, than he was last year? And Jared Goff was, was a mess uh, at, at times uh, last year. Um, yeah, but uh, one thing I did find doing research for something, he was uh, among the leaders in EPA from a clean pocket. So um, I guess there, there is still some, some upside there. Uh, the Rams, they're going to be in a position where things are going to work out well. They're, they're going to be well-coordinated, I think. Whether the execution is there, I think, is, is what we're going to have to think about, especially with Cooper Cup. Um, now let's go to uh, another offense where we don't really know what it's going to look like, and the execution was I- iffy at times. And we're going to go to Jacksonville, and that's DJ Chark. He had a breakout 2020. Um, 
a lot of it was a really hot start to the season. Then he kind of uh, faded a little bit, especially as the Jaguars really uh, faded in the second half. Um, are we looking at Chark as someone who can regain that upside he did to start the season well, with Jay Gruden as offensive coordinator, now Gardner Minshew, uh, the uh, entrenched starter there, at least for 2020. I don't want to say entrenched as, as much longer than that, um, but we know he's going to start the season. Uh, or uh, is are we not baking in enough uh, uncertainty for whatever this offense might look like going forward? Shark's interesting because he's a guy initially like when the season ended and I started doing, you know, the first wave of uh, projections and what happened, you know, last year. He was a guy I kind of expected to be down, but he's just grown and grown on me like throughout the whole course of the offseason. I mean, when you just look at his breakout in the context, you know, historically of what he was able to do in terms of year two breakout, just the company he keeps is, is insane. So from 2000 to 2018, there have been 619 wide receivers selected in the draft or draft capital used on, including supplemental player drafts. Of those players, 619 players, Sharks' year-two yardage increase of 834 yards over his rookie season is the eighth largest year-two bump among all those players. And when you listen to the seven guys that are actually higher than him, they are Alshon Jeffrey, Brandon Marshall, Antonio Brown, Steve Breston, Allen Robinson, Josh Gordon, and Chad Johnson. I mean, outside of Steve Breston, that's pretty good company to keep, you know. And, of course, like that limits guys that were actually good in their rookie season. But that just goes to show you the kind of company he's keeping of guys that, you know, got off to a slow start and then the company he's keeping in year two. Uh, so, I mean, not, not just was Sharks' yardage increase impressive for a breakout guy in year two. He also did soft a light rookie season, which is very rare. Of the 43 drafted year two wide receivers, they hit 1,000 yards in their second season since the year 2000. Shark was one of just nine of those 43 guys that do so on fewer than 500 receiving yards as a rookie. The only two players to do so on fewer yards than Shark had as a rookie were Antonio Brown and Breston, you know, who was part of that like three-way 1,000-yard uh, season with Kurt Warner there and then just kind of like faded away. But um, – you talked about it. Shark, he had the, he finally ends on five times uh, through the first five games. That's what kind of was like really elevating his ceiling. And then he scored just three times over the final 10 games played. And two of those were in one game, uh, the game that Foles came back for against the Colts. Uh, you know, and then we saw the ceiling kind of, you know, fall off for him a little bit. He had more of a floor as the Jaguars got really poor. He had just two top uh, 20 scoring weeks. Uh, from week nine on, it was the wide receiver 47 overall, weeks nine through 17. He had just 50 yards receiving in just two of those games. Um, he still had 20% of the team targets. He had 29% of the team air yards. Um, his weighted opportunity was still good. Uh, you know, just the team got bad around him. He also picked up an ankle injury towards the end of the season that kind of limited him. Uh, but the locked-in volume is there. I mean, everyone out of Chenault is on, like, their contract year uh, in Jacksonville. Didi's on a contract year. Keelan Cole's on a contract year. Uh, Chris Conley's on a contract year. Like, so Shark's a guy that's still, like, they're in. They're getting Jay Gruden, who, you know, has successfully moved some lead wide receivers around. I know comparing DJ Shark to AJ Green is a fair, uh, not to AJ Green or DJ Shark, but you know, he, he, they've already talked about moving him around in the slot more and he was very good in the slot and the limited opportunities he had there last year. And then he's also was excellent downfield where, you know, Gardner Minshew was good. I know you got some stats for that uh, because Minshew was good downfield and good off play action, but I know that you've got some, uh, some hits on a, hopefully the team is, you know, using him correctly in that regard this season. Yeah, it was really frustrating. It was something where Gardner Minshew was a very good deep thrower uh, among um, 
uh, quarterbacks with at least uh, 20 uh, attempts, 20 or more yards down the field. I know I've used that a lot, but that's where a lot of the, these big plays come from is these, these deep targets. And we kind of know that. Um, Minshew was a fourth in on target percentage uh, per um, Sports Info Solutions, uh, but it was only 45 of his 470 attempts. And that's only a 9.6% percent uh, rate of going deep. And that's one of the, the lowest in the league. The, um, the Jaguars should have been going deep uh, way more often. I think some of that was the Minshew being a rookie, kind of trying getting the ball out a little quicker, uh, panicky in some ways. Um, but also a lot of that was the, the Jaguars offense. It just uh, was not um, it was not designed to uh, go look deep uh, that often. I think that's one thing Jake Rudin is going to uh, bring in. Uh, you look at back at what he did with Kirk Cousins. I remember watching a lot of early Kirk Cousins. So many of those throws were, were open off play action, uh, deep uh, and intermediate, just schemed, wide open throws. And it was a very well-schemed offense. I'm not sure, you know, Jake Rudin as a head coach, um, but as an offensive uh, designer, I think he did a lot to help out his quarterbacks. Um, and I think, the Jaguars should be able to do that with Minshew. And again, in play action, Jaguars are one of the worst teams um, in rates of play action. I think that's going to jump up. Uh, that's going to help Minshew out. Also, uh, it's going to help the receivers out from also having a little more time. Um, so, um, that's just one of the things you see Chark was just able to run down the field, but the Jaguars just weren't able to, to get the ball to him as often as they should have. And I think that's going to be a focus on, on this iteration of the Jaguars offense when when they realize or the strengths they have uh, of Minshew and their wide receivers and I think when you look at all of the Jaguars wide receivers all of those guys should be running deep you know Chris Conley uh, Q and Cole um, all of those guys are big fast guys that should be just running down the field all the time and I think that should be how the Jaguars uh, look at their offense going forward. Yeah, one of the frustrating things is, you know, seeing D.D. Westbrook's transition from what he was at Oklahoma to how he's been used in the NFL is just a strictly slot guy. And part of that is because he struggles to win off of, you know, of press man, you know, kind of like, you know, Amari Cooper transition to the NFL has been on a way worse level uh, for a guy like D.D. Westbrook. He's just not as talented. But, uh, you know, that guy was a burner and caught downfield target after downfield target. He won the Bolitnikoff Award, and then he's just been used as like a tertiary slot guy so far in the NFL. I'd love for them to get him some looks downfield as well. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm still in on Shark. He's, he's grown. He's grown over the course of the offseason for me, uh, and I've become more on the positive pro-Shark angle. I said, will you – Anytime you have a cohort list, like the one I reeled off, like it's hard yeah. not to just say like, all right, listen, I'm just going to see where this thing goes. Absolutely. And I think one of the things I've, I've been looking in Chuck, I wrote about um, him and uh, DK Beckhalf and a couple other uh, of the kind of new wave of deep threats. And one of the things that the Jaguars really went to last year was, was a fade, but from, from further down the field, not a goal line fade. I, I, no, never, uh, will never um, <laughs> say do a, a goal line fade, but they were fades from, from deeper out, like 30 yards or so. And that was a go-to from, from Minshew uh, to Chark. And they kind of had a, some good timing there, but I think even using him to get open more on, you know, more regular routes, maybe more posts, some more corners. Uh, I think getting Chark involved there uh, is going to help. And uh, he's someone who's shown he can do that. And I think Minshew is going to be able to do that well. So I think just we're going to see a more efficient offense. Uh, hopefully, I think I have a little more faith in, in Jay Gruden than what the Jaguars did um, last year. So I think that's it's going to be a lot. Yeah, like you said, when you're in that type of company, you have uh, the type of skill set that Chark has. You have the, the first half of the season that Chark did. I think there's, there's a lot of upside going forward. 
So that is going to uh, end it for today. We've also, or Rich has also done a bunch of articles on uh, Marquise Brown, Evan Ingram, Amari Cooper, uh, the entire Miami trio of Mike Kosicki, um, Preston Williams, and Devontae Parker, uh, as well as uh, Darren Waller of the Raiders. These are all uh, pass-catching options that uh, you they kind of have the the upside to to be you know league winners or um you know but there's also just some some variance with them so uh rich has broken down all of these guys you can find them all on shark football uh, analysis uh, again you can um uh, rate, review, uh, subscribe to this podcast if you have not, uh, wherever you get your podcast. Uh, remember the book, uh, Warren's uh, 2020 Sharp Football Preview uh, is available for pre-order. There is a, a free chapter on the Steelers that you can uh, look at now and download now uh, as you pre-order and wait for the book, which should be out uh, at the beginning of July. Um, website, uh, everything we have been writing on sharpfootballanalysis.com. And you can find Rich on Twitter at Lord Reeves. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Pizzuta. I thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.